Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. It's Saturday. It's story time with Buster. We're in chapter 12 of Rick Joyner's Epic Battles of the Last Days. Uh, again, di- a different kind of reading from us of what we've been doing, but uh, very powerful. We're, we're getting close to the end of this. I'm, I'm uh, excited about what's, we're, what we're gaining on here, the, the, the types of learning that we're getting out of this. I'm going to carry on with chapter 12. We'll break this into two parts tonight just so that I don't belabor these issues because I want you to really be able to, to chew on this and to soak this in. So tonight, beginning with chapter 12, the two mandates. The Lord has given two different mandates to two entirely different forms of government, the civil government and the church. He has given a mandate to civil governments to keep order on this earth. They keep this order with carnal weapons, the sword. That is why Paul wrote, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, remember what that word means, because of this, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God. It's Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 6, if you'd like to find that on your own. This exhortation was written during the reign of the same Roman emperor, Nero, we discussed earlier. He was one of the most wicked men to ever hold a scepter, and the initiator of one of the bloodliest persecutions ever raised against the church. After the Apostle Paul had spent many years, after I'm sorry, this was written after the Apostle had spent many years being persecuted at the hands of civil governments. All authority in both heaven and earth have been given uh, to Christ, but he has not yet directly taken his authority over the earth, nor given it to us. He has not directly taken his authority because he has not yet manifestly set up his kingdom on this earth. However, He is indirectly taking his authority over the earth because there is no earthly ruler or spiritual principality that gains dominion without his approval, even the most wicked, a high power. The Apostle Paul and the church have also given authority from God. The power entrusted to the church is much greater than that entrusted to civil authorities. Civil authority is temporary. Ours is eternal. They can change laws, but we can change men. Margaret Thatcher, the former prime minister of Great Britain, once observed, The veneer of civilization is very thin. This remark was made after watching men become animals when the power went out in New York in New York City. When the lights and alarms go off and the police are not immediately present, the true nature of men is quickly revealed. This thin veneer is the realm of civil authority. We need the lights, the alarms, and the police, and we should thank God for the civil authorities that provide them but they are limited. In contrast, true spiritual authority is limitless. It's as limitless as eternity. Spiritual authority is not found in the streetlights that keep men in check. It is the light in men's hearts that compel them to do right, 
even when the lights go off and the police are not around. It is this light that keeps young girls pure, or after they have made a mistake, shows them such love and respect for life that they would not even consider an abortion. King David is one of the great biblical examples of one who walked in true spiritual authority. He is also one of the great types of Christ, who will one day exercise both spiritual and civil authority over the earth, along with his church. Even when David was unjustly persecuted by the civil authority of his nation, even when he had already been anointed to take Saul's place, David would not lift his own hand against the Lord's anointed. His heart even smote him for cutting off the edge of Saul's robe. It was this great respect for every authority that God had established which enabled David to build a house and a throne that will last forever, as Jesus himself is seated upon the throne of David. One who walks in true spiritual authority will never take a position by his own hand, but will patiently wait for the Spirit to make the way, even if it is a position in the realm of civil authority. If we aspire to sit with Jesus on his throne, it can only be accomplished this way. Presently, the Lord is allowing his church, who is called to rule with him, to be subject to all of the testings that David went through to prepare him for the throne. The temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness was basically an attempt to pressure him to take his authority over the world prematurely, enabling him to avoid the cross. This is also Satan's primary temptation for the church. He knows that if he can get us to seize temporal authority before we, too, have been through the trials that are meant to prepare us for this rule, that we will end up worshiping him by doing his bidding. And thus far, far he has been very successful with his temptation. The Stumbling Block There have been a number of Christians in history who were called to take a position in the realm of civil authority, and they accomplished great things for humanity. William Wilberforce, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, who abolished slavery in the British Empire, is one. But even this great accomplishment was still just a superficial victory in the realm of the thin veneer, as exploitation through colonization would continue for centuries, and economic oppression in many forms continues today. Even so, in the realm of human history, this was a huge step in the right direction for mankind, and the great evangelists John Wesley and George Whitfield had much to do with it. However, whenever the church has left her realm of authority to impose her will in the realm of civil authority, she has fallen to tragic and even diabolical excesses. The key here is that these mistakes have taken place whenever she has left her realm of authority. The church has been called to be the light of the world, to be a force for good and to uphold the standard of God's righteousness. But the trap that she has often fallen into has been to try and accomplish this form from the realm of civil authority that has given to that was given to others. The church will never be the light because she excels at all the at the ballot box. When people come to make Jesus king, he fled to the mountains. If the people make you king, who is going to rule? That the people wanted to make Jesus king seems very noble, but it was actually one of the most presumptuous acts in scripture. The people thought that they could make God king. He was born king. The source of his authority never came from the people, but from the Father above. Likewise, so does the church's authority come from above. And every time she has sought authority from any other source, the consequences have been devastating. Our Sphere of Authority Paul explained to the Corinthians that he had been given a sphere of authority that he would not presume to go beyond. 2 Corinthians 10, 13-14 those who understand spiritual authority will be very conscious of the sphere that has been appointed to them, 
because to go beyond it invites disaster. Just as a policeman from Atlanta has no authority in Mexico City and would probably get hurt if he tried to use it, we do not have spiritual authority beyond the realm that God has given to us. The sphere of authority given to the civil governments is different than that which is given to the church. Whenever the church has tried to accomplish its means by using this sphere appointed to the civil authorities, or whenever civil authorities have tried to accomplish their ends by using the church, it has had tragic results. The sphere of authority for civil governments is the realm of law, and the sphere of authority appointed to the church is the realm of the spirit. The boundaries of our sphere of authority can easily be recognized as the fruit of the spirit. As Jesus said, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew twelve twenty eight. If we try to cast out these demons by any other spirit, we can be sure that the kingdom of darkness will come upon us, and we will be left wounded and naked at best. The Lord Jesus never once tried to use the civil authorities to accomplish the Father's purposes. Neither did the apostles or other leaders of the early church. They understood that to do so would have been to come down from their high position that they were given. They let Caesar have that which was his and gave themselves to the things that were God's. Prophetic Authority The church is called to speak prophetically to governments, and it is that prophetic anointing which is the foundation of our mandated influence with governments. Prophetic authority is the moral authority and power of the truth, clearly articulated and established by our righteous life. Neither can we continue to expect the government to do our job. Not only abortion, but infant infanticide was a major problem with the first century Roman Empire, but the writers of the New Testament did not even mention the issue. Their silence was not because they were ignorant of the problem, and certainly not because they thought that it was acceptable, but because they were not going to waste their time flailing at the branches. They were putting their axe to the root of the tree, sin and estrangement from God. When men are reconciled to God, abortion and every other evil will be dealt with. Jonathan Edwards, who was used to ignite the first great awakening, preached one anointed sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That accomplished far more for the morality of this country than all of the laws that were on the books at that time. All of the morality laws combined could not accomplish what the great awakenings did. Protests and demonstrations can have a place in democratic society, but the church has a much higher calling. The church's authority is not found in the power to demonstrate, but in demonstrations of power. Leo Tolstoy, possibly the greatest novelist who ever lived, once said, Prophecy is like a spark lit in a dry wood. Once it ignites, it will burn and burn until all of the wood, hay, and stubble has been consumed. He gave as an example the history of slavery. This had been an accepted institution until it was clearly articulated under the anointing that it was wrong. Then it spread like fire lit in the dry wood. Within just a few years, the world was aflame with this truth, and slavery, at least in its most blatant forms, was quickly abolished throughout the earth. One of the great sparks thrown on the dry wood of slavery was Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. This novel so clearly revealed the evils of slavery that it became impossible for that evil to abide any longer in the civilized world. When Abraham Lincoln met Miss Stowe during the Civil War, he exclaimed, So you're the little lady that started this great war. And she was. One of the greatest demonstrations of prophetic power in the church age came through Martin Luther. Luther was just a monk, 
But when he nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the tiny little church in the obscure little town of Wittenberg, Germany, the whole world changed. Not only did he change the world in his own generation, he set in motion changes that have profoundly impacted every generation since. There has never been an emperor, king, or even a dynasty that has so influenced this world as this one monk. Martin Luther is a profound testimony that even the most humble man who is armed with God's truth, who refuses to compromise his convictions, is more powerful than armies. The power of Luther's prophetic stand is unequaled since the first century when Paul and Silas caused the most powerful rulers of the most powerful empire to ever exist to tremble in fear, declaring in dismay, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Acts chapter 17 verse 6. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi was said to have had a genuine conversation or conversion experience. However, he refused to be baptized when he saw how the event was being made a spectacle for the self-promotion of the evangelist. Nevertheless, he clung to many of the teachings of Jesus. He was especially captured by the Lord's admonition to overcome evil with good and to turn the other cheek when assaulted. He determined to live by this code. By focusing on just this one small part of the Lord's message, Gandhi was able to bring the most powerful empire of this day to its knees, giving birth to a nation. Gandhi refused to accept a political office, even though he could have easily been his nation's first prime minister. He simply stated that he had found a power greater than any power that a political office could ever give to him, and he was right. If Gandhi could so change his world by living by such a small fraction of the gospel, what kind of power would the church have if we all started to live by the whole gospel? If we really understood the power with which we have been entrusted, no pastor of a flock would ever care to stoop so low as to just become a president, much less a senator or a congressman, unless it was a yoke placed upon him by the Lord. I'm, I'm going to pull this in right here. We, we've still got quite a bit to go, and I don't want to, I don't want to drag this out. What, what a powerful first part of this chapter, um, speaking volumes of, of simply living according to God's word, being who he's called us to be, being who he's appointed us to be. There is no power that we will walk in any greater than that which God appoints us to. We're to humbly serve him. We're to humbly seek him. And by example, you see the things that were spoken here. Uh, man, go back and listen to this again. Jot down some notes. Let this sink in. Take, get, get a hold of it. Bite into it. Let the teeth of this word break into our spirit that we truly understand that if we would simply live according to the whole gospel, every fraction of the gospel, living it day to day, day in and day out, the impact that we could have on this world around us. We, we are desperate for a move of God, and it has to start with us. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in, following our podcast. Thank you for supporting this ministry and praying for Ron and I. Uh, we greatly appreciate all of our financial support that comes in. Every dime of support that comes into this ministry at this time goes back out supporting ministry. It may be a missionary. It could be an evangelist. It could be buying material that we give away. It, it, it just simply is used in such a fashion. One day, we're praying that, that this ministry will rise up at strong enough financial support that it supports us financially, that we can do this in more of a full-time basis. It's full-time ministry already. I just get to do it part-time. <laughs> so as we stand, 
Thank you for all your support. Thank you for your prayers. May God bless you. Ron and I love you. We're praying for you as we follow along his his pursuit, as we seek out that which is lost so that it may be found. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you again real soon.